Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. What we're going to look at in these two chapters is how the Holy Spirit, through Paul, deals with the issue of Christian stewardship. And it has been largely misunderstood and abused by the modern church, either over or underemphasized because of all the carnal baggage that's attached to it. And I want us to see giving as God sees it and to treasure it for what it is. So we're going to step back from the man-centered religious perception and ask the Spirit of God to define and manifest the grace of giving through us as a church. That's what we're about today. This is an aspect of who we are. It's not about what we do. It's about expressing who we are, and it becomes part of what we do. Before we begin, I would uh, remind you that Paul has just learned via Titus that the Corinthians, who had been estranged from him and had rejected him due to their carnality and the encouragement of some false teachers, they had repented. It was a genuine repentance, as is illustrated by the complete turnaround in their attitude towards Paul and Titus and their rejection of the false teachers. We saw in chapter 7 how the Corinthians were grieved over their treatment of Paul and wanted to reconcile with him and express their love and appreciation for him. There is always a great contrast between a life lived according to the flesh and a life lived according to the Spirit. It seemed like this was a whole different group of people because repentance is a radical healing of the soul that goes from living in death to living in life. Repentance is healing. It is a radical healing of the soul. That, when you look at that illustration, reverses the dynamic. It reverses the dynamic, the carnal dynamic of trying to extract life from the world and turns it into what God intended, life from who we are, that is expressed through our mind, will, and emotion that is up to this point, put itself in the captivity of the world and its perceptions and its definitions and all that it interprets our circumstances to be. We are enslaved to the simplistic perceptions of flesh. And this is what happens. The Spirit of God in repentance takes the truth and literally pushes it through our soul. So there is a radical healing in the mind. A radical healing concerning our will. A radical healing concerning our emotions. Because now who we are is centered in truth. It literally is aligned with how God made us. It's not a new creation. It is living as a new creation. Now, the Spirit of God is wanting this people, the Corinthians, to begin living from the inside out and to affirm love as their source of life experientially. So here's what happens. And you see this throughout Paul's writing. He wants to take the carnal 
That is, Christians who are living from the wrong paradigm, who are not understanding who they are, who have embraced this world as their home, and this life as a worldly life, a fleshly life. He wants to take them, he wants to get their attention, and say, that's not who you are, let me show you who you are, and then you repent, which is what? Turning Turn and allow your life to function normally, naturally. Turn towards Him and allow that life to flow through you. Because everything that God wants you to be, He's already created you to be. You're not becoming anything. You are literally yielding to what you've already become. Well, man, if that doesn't bless you, Well, you better check your pulse. The reality of it is that all that we believe that Christianity requires from us doesn't matter. All that we know that this character and this life wants to express from us, through us, is our basis for living in obedience with Him. That's the difference. Now, the Spirit of God wants the Corinthians, who've newly repented, to turn. Not just turn in repentance. Repentance is turning and recognizing who you are. But repentance in its completion is allowing who you are to come forth. It's a change in where you live from. Now, how's he going to do that? How is he best going to invite what is within the Corinthians to come forward? Well, look at chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. And this is a mystery to some people, but I'm going to tell you that it is completely logical. Now, brothers and sisters, we want to tell you about the grace of God, which has been evident in the churches of Macedonia, awakening, awakening in them a longing to contribute. For during an ordeal of severe distress, their abundant joy and their deep Poverty together overflowed in the wealth of their lavish generosity. So Paul begins to tell them how God's grace had been manifested in the Macedonian churches. It was manifested by giving. And you say, well, wait a minute. They just repented. They're just now getting back on track. Why would a pastor want to go and say, I'm glad you repented. And by the way, you need to start giving. Does that make any sense? Further... On New Members Saturday, why would a pastor preach about giving? Does that make any sense? I'll tell you why. Because a pastor needs to operate under the guidance of the Spirit of God, allow the people of God to be who they are, and the one big obstacle to us living outside of our flesh, living in the truth, is our security in Money and the things we have. Our identity. The world has placed our identity there. And the people around us has placed our identity there. How is the Spirit of God going to provoke you to live in the abundance that He's given you? He's going to require you to come forward with the truth within you. And one of the greatest ways to do that is put you in the position where you have to be self Less, selfless, and give. And that's what you see here. Now, he uses the Macedonian churches 
as an example. And the Macedonian churches were churches in Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And Paul is using the Macedonian churches as an example, not because of the amount they gave, which, you know, we would do in most denominations. We would stand up and say, you know, look at the thermometer here, right? This brother gave this much money, and we're now, we're now here. Look at the cooperative program in your bulletin. Look where we rank there. Paul doesn't even tell us how much they gave. How are we supposed to appreciate what they've done without knowing how much they gave? That doesn't make any sense. Paul is using the Macedonian church as an example, not because of the amount they gave, but how they gave. They are an example that the Holy Spirit gives to illustrate how to give. That's why it's so important. That's why these two chapters are incredibly important. Because you would say to me that your finances and how you handle them are incredibly important. What's really important is not your finances, but your source and living from the abundance that Christ has placed in you. That's what's important. The heart behind your giving. You seeing giving as God sees it. You having the same perception about giving that He does. So that you can toss away every legalistic teaching, every baiting to prosperity, every sense of bribing God. You can throw all of that heretical teaching out in the toilet and stand up and say, the truth is, I only own what God has placed in me and it is not mine. I give out of the bankruptcy of a completely and totally dependent individual. I give because it is a full expression of me living in the reliance on who I am in Christ. Now, Macedonia was under Roman rule in a huge way. The Roman boot was on their neck. They uh, were primarily, their industry was mining. Now, you will notice that in the letters that Paul wrote to these churches, there's very little dealings with the rich. Why? Because these people were extremely poor. The Romans had taken from them and continued to take anything of value. They would guard those mines. They would allow the people the privilege of working in them. But then they would take from all the profit. And then these people had very little for themselves and lived well below what we would consider a poverty line. And if they gave it all, it was a sacrifice. Y'all may remember the reference where I believe it was David said, I will not give unto the Lord that which costs me nothing. Well, this is exactly what we're talking about here. These people, if they gave anything, it cost. They didn't wait to see where to cut off the blanket. They didn't look at the bottom line to see where they needed to give. They didn't measure it out at 10% or 5% or 2%. They got to the end of it and they let the Spirit of God guide them and they gave. And they didn't give out of their excess. They gave out of their poverty. That's incredible. Listen, verse 2 says, For during an ordeal of severe distress, their abundant joy and their deep poverty together overflowed in the wealth of their lavish giving, lavish generosity. Now Paul is pointing to them and he's saying, 
They've got it. I'm not talking about finances. I'm talking about embracing who they are. They got it. They gave in the midst of severe distress. Now, we know because of our study of Paul in these epistles we've gone through, we know what Paul's been through, right? We know what he has endured, right? Now, how do you think he would define severe distress and poverty? I mean, he's not being flippant and he's not being speaking ministerially. He lived among these people. He knew what their distresses were. He watched them measure out the grain for just enough so that they would have food for in the morning. He watched them live under the Roman boot, oppressed and afflicted, constantly having to give reverence to those who abused them, made light of them, scoffed at them. These were not Jews either, by the way. These were Gentiles. So you couple that with being born and living in a society that was based on idolatry and how they had to face the opposition of even their own kinspeople and live and walk apart from the idolatrous practices of society. You couple that kind of ridicule, that kind of isolation, that kind of contempt on top of the Roman oppression and the inability to provide for oneself. And you have a person who lives from physical bankruptcy, who can absolutely have no hope apart from God. And this person is first in line to give. What does that tell you about them? They gave out of their poverty. If you'd lived that way, wouldn't you want to keep as much of what you could gather because your need was so great? But they lived like the Israelites in the desert, seeing everything coming from the man of God, and they would only, from God himself, and they would only gather. They would only be able to gather their provision for the moment. God was teaching the Israelites to live from dependency upon him. To live from the bankruptcy of flesh to <laughs> the abundance of being called his own. They gave out of the poverty and they gave with joy. Hard to imagine. Now, I do not pay taxes with joy, do you? Hmm? I have yet to send the IRS a thank you note or call and check and see if they need it anymore. That hasn't happened. Listen, there is a joy that accompanies obedience because it accompanies the work and the presence of God, not the work of flesh. The only way they could give with joy was to reckon it as giving from God's resources for God's purposes. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. They were attended by the Spirit of God in their giving. And Paul describes this as grace, which means that it had God as its source. And the giving was not what they gave. It was their gift. It was God's gift to them. You see that? Because this is God, in that illustration I had, it was God literally giving. And when He's at the center of us, the blessing for us, the gift for us, the anointing for us, the abundance for us, is that life being expressed through us. So every, every 
opportunity for obedience and faith is a provocation of truth that literally siphons his life from the center into the fullness of the soul and becomes the expression, he becomes the word become flesh through you. It's our gift. I'm not just talking about giving. I'm talking about living. I'm talking about every moment. There is an abundance. There is a blessing. There is a gift for you in every moment. And it comes by yielding to the life at the center. And listen, it's not realized in the soul all the time. It's not realized in your emotions. It's not always realized in your thoughts. It's realized by your will saying, I will believe and I will know Him by faith. Now, if I'm going to know Him by faith, that means I can't see it, I can't sense it, but I believe it is there. Do you see why you're here? Do you see why you've been put into a temporal world, surrounded by temporal choices, in a temporal body, while your senses are attuned to the temporal? Do you see why God has placed you in that position? So that you can draw upon His life by faith and know and expand Him. This is how, you know, God so loved us that He gave His Son to give us a life that is His life. And in order for us to have the fullness and the abundance of that life, we have to choose to live and walk by it. And what we see in the, in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, where these saints stand in the, in the midst of all kinds of oppression and persecution, and they are literally exploding with life, as we see life from the inside out. Go ahead, poke holes in my flesh, because that just means life is going to pour all the faster. Squeeze my flesh, and there will be a river flooding out to meet you. You've heard me preach this stuff before, and the reason I preach it again is because it is literally the dynamic that you were made for. Everything that I can preach upon, giving, love, Marriage, anything, any topical thing you want to name has to come back to here in order for it to have any life to it. So yes, you'll hear it again and again and again. Now, joy is the fruit of the Spirit and they were attended by the Spirit of God in their giving. And Paul describes this grace, which means it had to have God as its source and the gift was not what they gave, but it was their gift to give. Now, this ties in to what I was talking about in the beginning. That they were living from the inside out. Affirming their source was not a matter of the flesh or what the flesh could muster. The flesh would attend its giving with pride and selfishness. It would crave the recognition and resent the loss. The flesh does not give for the privilege of knowing the joy of the Lord. The spiritual man gives and he counts it as his privilege. He sees himself living from the vine, the provision of the Lord. His giving is not out of his excess, but from his obedience to the Spirit of God. And these impoverished Christians were known for their generosity because they had discovered that abundance is not possessions, 
That abundance is literally the life that they already possess. And to experience that abundance is to express that life. Listen, the lost give to affirm their humanity. God gave what was most valuable to him because God was giving out of who he is. The Macedonians were looking to give. They were not focused on need. Did you hear me? They were not focused on need. They were practicing the selfless life of Christ. When I deal with people who are dealing with depression or anxiety about their circumstances, I encourage them to serve, to give, to be selfless. Because that's the antidote to being miserable. In some way, God has got to show the people of God to draw how to draw from the center. And you know what? The church has done a very poor job in teaching this truth, but life teaches it every day. Every day you make a choice of what your source is going to be. I know. In a very small, insignificant way, I woke up feeling lousy every day for several days with not enough energy to do anything, so my wife will testify. And I just felt like I was absolutely overwhelmed. But I chose to believe that my vitality was not tied to this diseased body. That my life could not be defined by activity or inactivity. That the joy of my life was literally in the presence and the expression of His. I had to determine that by faith. Because there's nobody more self-absorbed than a sick man. No amen out of you. I had to be selfless. Listen, I encourage people to give. I encourage people to serve. Because it's the antidote to being miserable. And if you're wondering where that starts, it is in the body of Christ. What I said before, the new covenant template for giving was within the body of Christ. More specifically, within the church. The Jews gave to the temple. The temple administrated their giving as the temple saw fit. In Christianity, God causes us to give and that giving is within the body and that body uses that as God directs. Okay? That's the template. You can go home and look it up. Or just don't consult the, uh, the prosperity gospel folks. You won't get straight, straight skinny from them. Listen, it starts at home. It starts in the body of Christ. It starts in your own family. Don't tell me about you giving to the guy with a sign when you haven't even bothered to help your kids with their homework or love your wife. When you're giving in carnality, your giving is about you in the flesh. And guess what? There's no joy in it. Not the way God defines joy. If you look at 2 Corinthians 11.9, you see that even when Paul was away from them, they were looking to minister to him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 9, it says, And when I was with you and ran short financially, I did not burden any of you. For what I needed was fully supplied by the brothers, Silas and Timothy, who came from Macedonia, the church at Philippi. So I kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. See, these people couldn't stop. You see, they knew the joy 
This is the same picture we have of Paul who says, I have been through all of these things, beaten by rods, I've been thrown out of the city, I've been literally attacked by dogs, I've been left naked, I've been shipwrecked. He goes through that entire list of things that he's gone through. And he says, you know what? It was nothing compared to the priceless privilege of knowing him. And that's where these Macedonians are at. They're going through all kinds of oppression. And they say it's nothing compared to the priceless privilege of being able to show forth and literally to manifest the life that is within us. Because listen, when I see that life, it stands in sharp contrast to the depravity of my flesh. It stands in sharp contrast to the darkness of my financial situation. It stands in sharp contrast to everything that I might become in the flesh. I see the glory of God. And that is what I'm going to cling to. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods, just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.